Amen. The Lord is the one who sets the captives free. What are some of the places listed in Psalm 68 that we sang after that? Well, the tribes known for rebellion need to be brought back in. Naphtali and Zebulun. The tribe, still imperfect, but known in contrast to them for its faithfulness. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then we go beyond the people of Israel. We speak about the nations. We sing about the nations coming to God. Egypt, Ethiopia. And then let all give glory to God. Indeed, God desires that the gospel would be proclaimed to all and God promises that there will be His people among all peoples. So, page 268, the mandate to proclaim the gospel to all. And uh, for any who are here this morning, uh, we had a focus on the on the practice of that proclamation. Now we're, we're, we're really focusing on the promise that all will hear and among all there will be those who are healed. So we're thinking about this mandate in especially that word all and, and we're thinking about, about the promises of God. The promises of, of His gospel going forth in, uh, in power including healing power. But let's read that mandate to proclaim the gospel to all, Article 5, page 268, and let's uh, read it together. It is again, Article 5, the mandate to proclaim the gospel to all, and let's say it together. Moreover, it is the promise of the gospel that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish, but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and people to whom God in His good pleasure sends the gospel. And then with that from our confessions, let's turn to the very Word of God. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 19, page 740. The Bible's under our seats. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. And it is a word that follows a proclamation of judgment against Egypt. But judgment itself is not the last word. We have now a prophecy about how some will receive that judgment. We have a prophecy about how in Egypt there will be those who are blessed. So we read this prophetic promise from the prophet Isaiah Isaiah chapter 19, we begin our reading at verse 16 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Isaiah 19, beginning at verse 16. In that day, 
the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing and they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So far the reading of the word of God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, fear is, in Scripture, a bad thing when we're talking about the fear of man, but it is a good thing when we are thinking about the fear of the Lord. And this text, coming after the first 15 verses, which are the declaration of coming judgment against Egypt, it's a context where we would expect to read something about fear. But the promise is that the fear will not just be the fear of judgment. For some, it will be a holy fear tied to repentance, tied to returning to the Lord, tied to the healing of the Lord. The proclamation of coming judgment is not the final word. God will use His mighty hand to show His just power. But for some in Egypt, not for all, but for some in Egypt, that power will lead to a strike of healing. And brothers and sisters, what a, uh, what a powerful uh, promise uh, reminding us that, that the will of God, that the gospel would go forth from, Judea to, uh, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth is not only a, a New Testament word, it is, it is plainer in the New Testament. It is worked out more powerfully in the New Testament, but this was already promised. This was already something in the backbone of Scripture. And so here in Isaiah... In the Old Testament, 
Centuries before the Messiah comes, we have the declaration, we have the promise of God's healing power going forth, not just for Israel, but going forth to their to their prototypical enemies, to Assyria and to Egypt. And God will save. God will save. Just as long before the days of Isaiah, Egypt was struck down through the ten plagues, but it was not only a striking of judgment, it was also a striking of healing because how did the nation of Israel leave the nation of Egypt? They left Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, as a mixed multitude. In the striking of the ten plagues, it became a mixed multitude of God's people because there were Egyptians who believed in the Lord and left with those slaves of Israel. And now, in Isaiah 19, we have a promise that after the days of Isaiah, God will display His power again. And again in Egypt, there will be speaking about the power of God. And again in Egypt, there will be those who will be saved as they see the power of God. May all of God's enemies hear the good news. That's our theme tonight. The nations will stand in fear. That's our first point. And then we'll look at point two, when fear leads to healing. And then point three, when healing leads to worship. Well, as we dig into this prophecy, brothers and sisters, we do need to remember this is a prophecy. It is not a historical uh, narrative. And so even the names of the nations, Egypt and Assyria, it's not just about Egypt and Assyria. It's, it's a symbol for the gospel going forth out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Because who are Egypt and Assyria? They are the, they are the great enemy of, of Israel to the north, that's Assyria, and the great Israel, and the great enemy of Israel to the south, that is Egypt. And because Israel is surrounded by the sea and by the desert, you mostly think about their neighbors in terms of north and south. This is symbolic language for all of their neighbors, for all of their enemies, for all of the people of the world. It's not just a prophecy about Egypt and Assyria. It's it's prophetic language to speak about these two nations as a symbol for all peoples. This uh, prophecy, this promise is not just about Egypt and Assyria. This is a word about your neighbor. This is a word about your neighbor who is in open rebellion against God, who believes that God does not exist or who maybe believes God exists but does not trust God as Lord and Savior. In other words, this is a prophecy about your neighbor who is an enemy of God. And it's a promise that among the enemies of God, there will be those struck with healing. I'm getting ahead of ourselves a little to our second point, but... We remember that throughout. And then as we think about the language of being an enemy of God, brothers and sisters, this is, this is a prophecy, this is a promise about you and me. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, which so powerfully speaks of the truth that even if you are a covenant child, even if you were born and baptized and raised in the church, and you have been steadfast in uh, going 
through your life in attending to Christ, in, in worshiping Christ, in spirit and in truth, even, even, for, even for such a one, you are yet an enemy. Because Romans 5 speaks about our human nature. It speaks about who we all are in Adam. This is the language of enemies in Romans chapter 5, beginning our reading at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Language of sinners, the language of enemies. And it's not just out there language. It's language for all of those who are in Adam by their nature, as the following verses make clear. So when we read magnificent prophetic promises about the enemies of God being struck for healing, brothers and sisters, whoever we are and however our enmity against God has been or has not been expressed in our life, we are all by nature included in this promise. We are all, finally, in at least the sense of our nature, enemies of God. We all need the salvation of Jesus Christ who died for us while we were yet sinners, as we were His enemies. There is nothing in us that leads to our salvation. But God has promised and willed to save many. So as you trust, you are no longer an enemy, but you are made His people. Now, coming back to the language of our text, there is this emphasis on the the power of God, the might of God, Verse 17, the Lord of hosts. That's the title that emphasizes that God is the ruler of His heavenly host is is especially what's emphasized here. In other words, His angelic army with flames of sword and great power that can strike down any army on the earth. And then that is, that is important when we think about the, when we think about the first context, when we think about how the Israelites would have heard this. Because to the Israelites, Egypt and Assyria are they, they flip-flop in what they are. There is Israel, not nearly as powerful of a nation, right in between them, right on the highway of commerce in between Egypt and Assyria. And as those two great powers of the ancient world go in their power struggle from one generation to another, Israel was often caught in this mindset of trying to pit them against each other. In other words, the common mindset was this. If Assyria is powerful, then I at least want Egypt to be my friend for this generation so that they can help us against the Assyrians. But it flip-flops all the time. So sometimes Egypt is the enemy 
of the Israelites. And sometimes the Israelites are trying to make them their ally. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And what is it, what is it all a part of? How, do, how does that apply to language of today? Well, brothers and sisters, it goes something like this. We look at our neighbors and we're tempted to think of them either as enemies that we just want to avoid or we just want to be safe from, we just want to bunker down, or as those who can just help us in some kind of earthly way. Maybe they'll just vote for us, with us, so that we'll have religious freedom. Or some other way that they'll just help us. And that's that's what we're thinking of. That's what our mindset is centered upon. It's this way of looking at the world and thinking of them just in terms of enemies or people who can help me against my enemies. And it bounces back and forth and back and forth. Now we can go back to verse 16, which is not stated the way that people would usually say it today. But what is the prophet saying? The prophet is saying that in the generation of Isaiah, which was one of those times when Assyria was really powerful and the Israelites said, well, Egypt, their army can help protect us against those mighty Assyrians. And God is saying, if you are trusting in the might of this world, if you're looking at them as just enemies to be avoided or just enemies to help you against other enemies, they will not be able to help you. You cannot put your final trust in things of that nature. You cannot put your trust in people in that kind of way. If you're trusting in Egypt as your army, know that on the day of reckoning, their army will just be like trembling women. It's not the most politically correct thing to say, but the Word of God recognizes the basic fact that men and women are made differently. If you're standing on a battlefield where the battle is going to be won based on the strength of brawn with the swinging of swords and the thrusting of spears, you want to have an army of men. Isaiah is saying, if you're, if you're thinking of your neighbors just as enemies, just as people who might help you against other enemies, and you're just trying to bunker down in the middle, Egypt is not going to help you. No, you need to change the way you look at people around you. You need to look at them as those who stand under the authority of God as those upon whom God's power will be revealed. And for those who are healed, when the proclamation of God's power comes, you need to see them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but it takes us to our second point. It's said in prophetic language, it's said in the language of the days of Isaiah, But brothers and sisters, it has direct applications for how we think about the people around us and how we're comforted by God's promise and God's purposes and God's control over the events that surround us. Let's not try to to grasp hold of 
and 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 control our destiny in those kinds of ways. Our final trust is always the purposes of God. And God's purposes are that He is going to strike, and that that striking for many will lead to healing. Now we're going to look especially at verse 18 and verse 22. Our second and third points could have really been in either order because the language of worship surrounds the the image of healing in verse 22. But for our second point, we're, we're focusing on when fear of the Lord leads to healing and we're looking especially at verses 18 and verse 22. Well, what is in verse 18? Verse 18 is the declaration that as God is, is bringing His justice to bear upon Egypt, it will not only be for destruction because in that day, verse 18, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and will swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. Now, language of Canaan, we usually wouldn't think of that as a positive image because we think Canaan... That's Canaanites, that's bad. But language of Canaan just refers to the language family. The the Israelites and the Assyrians all spoke the language of Canaan. They all spoke Semitic languages. It's just saying they're going to be so united to you, it's like they're going to speak the same language as you. Which isn't normally how you think about Egyptians. The Egyptian language is, is rather strange. And it's not like the Semitic languages of the land of Canaan that that the Israelites and other nations speak. But they will become so like you. It's like they'll speak the same language as you. Why? It's explained in the next phrase. Because they will swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. They will swear in the name of Yahweh. The name of the one true God. The name of the God of Israel. It's five cities which is not many. There's many cities in Egypt. But again, it's it's a prophetic language. So we should be thinking in terms of symbolic numbers. What's a symbolic number of, 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 of fullness? Is, is a number like 10? It's half of the number 10. In, in other words, we're not talking about every city in Egypt, but we're talking about cities, and we're talking about a, a real number of cities. There will be a real number of cities that will swear allegiance to Yahweh, to the Lord. Why? Why? Well, it's because there will be healing as God is striking. Verse 22, And the Lord, Yahweh, will strike Egypt. Verses 1 through 15, even 1 to 17, are all about that striking. There's going to be another purpose in that striking. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they will return to the Lord. It's another way of saying they will repent. They will turn away from their sins and they will turn to the Lord. And He will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. God will bring His hand upon the nations. And it will be a strike. But for a real number, for five cities, it will be a strike of healing. They will repent and they will trust in the mercy of God. 
This is this is the prophetic national language. Let's bring it down to the very to a very personal one-on-one situation. What is it to share the gospel with someone? It's a strike. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You are a sinner. You need a Savior. Let us speak it gently and winsomely, but it is a strike. When that gospel proclaimed to all, there would have been temptation to say the Egyptians don't need to hear the gospel, the Assyrians don't need to hear the gospel, and we can have temptations to say so-and-so doesn't need to hear the gospel, so-and-so doesn't really need to hear the gospel. But when that gospel word goes out to all, it is a strike. And God has promised that He will work the strike of healing even among the most cruel of peoples. And the Egyptians were cruel. The Assyrians were cruel. But God will bring a strike of healing. This is the promise of the Gospel going forth. This is the promise of people being brought to God. They will trust in the Lord. Salvation in the repentance of sins, trusting in the mercy of God. God will bring the Egyptians to Him and they stand as a symbol for for all of God's enemies. It's a striking for healing which is surrounded by language of worship. That takes us to our third point. Surrounding verse 22 is all this language of worship. Verse 19 speaks about the altar of the Lord, the altar of Yahweh. And they will, verse 21, worship with sacrifice and offering and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And then what is the highway in verse 23? It's a highway of worship. No longer a highway of of grudging commerce and war, which was what the highway between Assyria and Egypt usually was. No, it's a highway of worship. It's a highway connecting worshipers together, all of them trusting in the one true Lord. There is a gospel highway of peace as God brings many to Himself. Now remember, this is a prophetic promise. So it's given in Old Testament terms. And so E.J. Young uh, once summarized it this way, quote, in picturing Egypt as worshiping by using the symbols of the Old Testament, Isaiah is simply asserting that in the future, Egypt will worship God in an acceptable manner, end of quote. In other words, Isaiah, Isaiah can't give a prophecy speaking about churches and baptisms and Lord's suppers. He's going to speak in Old Testament terms. It's, an old, it's a prophecy that comes in Old Testament times. But as we think about the fulfillment of this, we don't need to look for an altar in Egypt. We need to look for a church in Egypt. We need to look for the Lord's Supper in Egypt. And brothers and sisters, as I said at the beginning of this sermon, Egypt and Assyria are symbolic for all of God's enemies. They're symbolic for the gospel going forth. And do you see that going forth language? There's there's the altar, there's the five cities, but then at the end of verse 19, there's a pillar to the Lord at its border. It's getting 
further and further out. The message, the word of the Lord is going out further and further. So this is, this is symbolic. It's not just about Egypt and Assyria. But let's, let's pause for a minute and let's think about Egypt. Was this prophecy realized in a powerful way in Egypt? For the first seven centuries of the New Testament church, Egypt was probably the most important Christian nation. I'm just going to give one name. I could give more. Athanasius, after whom the Athanasius, after whom the Athanasius Creed is named, was born in Alexandria, Egypt, trained in Alexandria, Egypt, ministered in Alexandria, Egypt, and died in Alexandria, Egypt. Egypt was a center of the Christian church and of sound doctrine and of the early Christian creeds which we confess for the first seven centuries of the New Testament church. Now, around year 700 A.D., the Muslims conquered the nation of Egypt and Muslims have been in power in Egypt for more than a thousand years. But even despite that, and with all of the sometimes very severe persecution against the church that has come with it, even more than a thousand years after that, more than 10% of Egyptians profess the name of Christ despite being under Muslim rule for more than a thousand years. God's promise is sure. We do not need to be bunker Christians. We are not called to be bunker Christians. The gospel is to be proclaimed to all. And God will work and build gospel highways and save cities in Egypt. He will save the enemies of God, even as He has saved us while we were yet enemies of God. It's prophetic language, which makes it at first glance sometimes seem a little bit far away from us, but brothers and sisters, it is a powerful promise speaking to us about God who is at work, about God's strike, which can be the strike of healing leading to eternal life. This is the Lord of hosts in whom we trust. Many will hear. Many will come. May that gospel be proclaimed. It is God's gospel highway. Are you one of God's road travelers and road builders as the gospel goes forth? And are you then united? This is, this is our last point. We, we have two conclusions tonight. But brothers and sisters, see the language of unity. After the strike of healing, it is a threefold blessing which puts Egypt and Assyria and Israel on exactly the same level. 
those who are converted later in life or those who are converted who look different from you or, or whatever it is, there's no such thing as a second class citizen in the country of God, in the building up of God's kingdom, in the highway that unites those who were enemies. Now, when there is conversion, let there be unity in the one gospel, in the one Savior. We all need in God who does bring Revelation 7 verse 9, every tribe and every tongue to himself. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, we give thanks to you for the language of your word going forth, for the prophetic promises, for the for the clear commands and proclamations from the Old Testament to the New.